This is the Morning Rush. Coming up on today's show, could the Suns get to the NBA Finals for the first time in 28 years? We'll look at last night's Game 1 of the Stanley Cup Finals, which uh, wasn't really a game at all. It was also Game 1 of the College World Series. Kyle Schwarber, Schwarbs, continues to kick butt and take names. And if you hate this country so much, uh, why do you compete for it? All that and more coming up in the next two hours of the show. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off this terrific Tuesday. Several ways to get involved on the show, as always. Uh, hit me up on Twitter at WCMD Morning Rush at Rush Tony C. On Facebook at WCMD Cumberland Radio. All of those pages free and open to the public. Like them, follow them. Anytime you feel moved to do so, drop me a line. Question, comment, opinion, feel free. We will share on the air. We'll discuss. Rush line is open, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance. Shum on. 301-759-2628. And our podcast page on the free Podbean app. We upload every show, every day, minus commercials. It's all right there. Don't know what more you want me to do, except... apparently clearing my throat. Just download that Podbean app that I mentioned is free on your phone or tablet, and then uh, search uh, WCMD Morning Rush, and it's all right there for you. All right, so uh, several ways to get involved on the show. Do so. It is highly encouraged. Let's kick off today's show as we kick off every show with a rock around the region. I want to rock! And uh, we start with Major League Baseball, where Kyle Schwarber continues to make Nationals and Major League Baseball history. And a swing and a drive, deep right center field, way back, going, going, and it's gone, goodbye! Bang, zoom goes Kyle Schwarber on a 3-1 pitch with home run number 24. Another multi-home run game for Kyle Schwarber. His fifth of the year, the 13th of his career. The call on the Nationals radio network. Two more home runs for Schwarber as the Nats beat the Mets 8-4 to gain more ground in the NL East. Schwarber homered twice off of Mets starter Jared Eikhoff, including his sixth leadoff homer of the season. And we'll have more on Schwarber's power surge in just a bit. Ryan Zimmerman. Hit a pinch hit three-run homer for Washington, which actually they hit five home runs in the game. Uh, They have now won 12 of 15 to get back to the 500 mark once again and pulled to within three games of New York in the NL East. Elsewhere, the Orioles pulled off a rare road win in Houston. There he goes. Fly ball, left field. It's deep, way back, and out of here. Orioles break the tie, a two-run shot 
off the bat of Austin Hayes, and the birds jump out top six to four. The call on Mid-Atlantic Sportsnet, five runs for the O's in the ninth inning as they beat the Astros 9-7. Uh, Pedro Severino, how uh, he had a two-run double in the ninth. What is that? Oh, I have it here twice. That's right. I have had written down. That's what screwed me up. Severino also had had a two-run double in the ninth, and Ramon Urias had an RBI double as well. Ryan Mountcastle homeward and drove in three for Baltimore, which won in Houston for just the second time in 13 games, uh, dating back to 2016. And in Colorado, the Pirates were burned. Let's try that again, all right? Can we- Do you understand oh. the words that are coming out of my mouth? All right, getting off to a great start here on a Tuesday. Let's try this one more time. And in Colorado, the Pirates were burned by a former bucko. And a fly ball Uh-oh. hit deep to center. Elias Diaz, his home run on the center field fence, just his third, gives Colorado a 2-0 lead. The call on the Pirates radio network, 2-0 the final as the Rockies got the shutout win. Uh, Kyle Freeland pitched five scoreless for the Rockies before leaving with an apparent leg injury. The Pirates had just six hits, all singles. Tyler Anderson, pitching against his former Colorado team, allowed both runs on five hits in five innings for the Bucks. In other Pirates news, Max Kranick, the rookie who threw five perfect innings in his Major League debut on Sunday, was rewarded by the team uh, by getting sent back down to AAA Indianapolis yesterday. So there you go. Come on up, Rook. Pitch five scoreless, five perfect innings, and we're going to send you back down. It's all about service time with the Pirates. It's all about service time at the big league level and something about what they did with Polanco. They did the same thing with Gregory Polanco. They brought him up and then sent him back down, and then brought him up. They kept on back and something about service time and having to pay him. I don't know. It's just another way for them to save money because they're cheap. And they're ridiculous. However, uh, the Pirates did announce that they're going to go to a six-man rotation. So it could be, possibly, that Kranich uh, gets called back up sooner rather than later. In college basketball, West Virginia added another player for the upcoming season in Jamel King, who originally signed to play at New Mexico, but then signed a grant in aid to play for the Mountaineers in 2021-22. At 6'7", 190 pounds, King averaged 23 points and six boards a game as a senior at Paul Bryant High School in Alabama. He later averaged 16 points a game at Bella Vista Prep in Arizona. He also made more than half of his uh, three-point attempts at uh, Bella Vista, so he is now headed uh, to Morgantown. And Daryl Morcell. Last year's Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year is transferring from Maryland to play for Shaka Smart at Marquette. Of course, Marcel getting that extra year of eligibility, as all athletes did in college because of the pandemic. The 6'5 guard averaged nine points, four rebounds, and three assists a game for the Terps last season. And again, the Big Ten coaches voted him uh, the best defensive player in the conference. 
He is one of only 16 players in Maryland history to have 1,000 points, 500 rebounds, and 100 starts. So, uh, Marcel. Where is Marquette? They still in the Big East? Is that what it is? Going from the Big Ten uh, to the Big East, right? Uh, I can't remember. Big East, AAC, it's all it all runs together after a while. I think they're still in the Big East. Anyway, that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you uh, by the Cap Rally Group. All right, so <laughs> Kyle Schwarber, who he was a decent hitter with the Cubs, right? He had some power. I remember him hitting a home run against the Pirates at Wrigley that I'm fairly certain hit the top of or near the top of that scoreboard out at Wrigley. Definitely a power game. Wasn't really known as the best defender in the world, you know what I mean? And when the Nationals signed him, I'm sure they thought, well, obviously they thought, or else they wouldn't have signed him, that he could help, that he could add some punch to that lineup. Same reason why they got Josh Bell from Pittsburgh. But I don't think anybody, (laughs) anybody expected this kind of punch from Kyle Schwarber. At least not in the last couple weeks. Uh, He hit two homers last night, again in that Nats win against the Mets, over the Mets. He has five multi-homer games this season, three against the Mets alone, including last night. He has 15 home runs in the month of June. All of them coming since June 12th. So, zero home runs from June 1st through June 11th for Kyle Schwarber. And then he hits 15 between the 12th and the 28th. His 15 homers in June sets the Nationals franchise record for home runs in any month. He now has the team record. And again, he did it in a 16-day span, 17-day span. He has 11 home runs in his last nine games. That's tied for the most homers in any nine-game stretch since 1901. 1901. Frank Howard did it in 1968 for the Washington Senators. Oh, by the way. He has hit 15 homers in a 17-day span. First player in Major League history to ever do that. 15 bombs in 17 days. He is on an historical tear right now. And there's still, uh, what, two days left uh, in June, by the way. Schwarbs now has 24 homers on the season. That's third most in all of baseball. Uh, Shohei Otani, who went yard again last night, and Vlad Jr. each have 26. Fernando Tatis Jr. uh, has 25. And again, it's no surprise that since Schwarber has gotten hot, so have the Nationals. Uh, Here's manager uh, Davey Martinez. Yeah, honestly, I've never seen nothing like it before. So, but, you know, hope he keeps on doing it. I mean, he's been, he's been awesome. He really has, man. He's, uh, He's been getting good at bats. You know, the, the, the beautiful thing about it is, you know, even though he hit the home run, his last at bat, I mean, he hit a, a rocket to left field, which which is awesome too, you know. So he's staying on the ball well right now. I tell him all the time, you know, when he goes up there, I just want him to have good at bats. You know, I remind him I remind him every time, hey, 
you take your walks, you know, get the ball in the strike zone. And when he does that, you're seeing what he can do, really. I mean, he's 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 been he's been you know, he's been awesome, you know. Um, and he's been he's been an unbelievable leadoff hitter for us, so it's it's been good. And that's the kicker. His his power surge, most of it has come batting leadoff. And his first homer last night was a leadoff homer, his sixth of the season. And then Trey Turner followed with a home run after that, went back to back, just like that. It was a two nothing lead for the Nats. And Paolo Espino, who shut down the Pirates, remember he picked up his first uh, major league win against the Bucks not too long ago? He went five scoreless in a spot start to get the win. So right now, the Nats, things are going well. They're five and three against the Mets this season. And last night's game was just a one-game makeup. So that's it. They're done for now, for a while. And Nats and Schwarbs will try to stay hot tonight when they open up a home series with Tampa Bay. So only three games back. Three games back. Back, back to 500. For Washington. Uh, before we move on, the Pirates. How do you get shut out in Colorado? Not only get shut out, but how do you manage just six hits, all of them singles, in Colorado? And the place where the ball flies better than any place in the world. Uh, Maybe not the world, but you get it. The country. How do you manage just six singles in a place where they average like 80 runs a game? Slight exaggeration. I mean, <laughs> I understand Adam Frazier was out of the lineup. Uh, Derek Shelton gave him a rest day. I Okay, I get that. But six singles? Really? And it's not like Tyler Anderson pitched terribly. He gave up two runs in five innings, which is good in Colorado. But then you had Kyle Freeland. He shut him out for five innings. And then what makes matters worse, Elias Diaz, former Pirates catcher, goes yard against Anderson. <laughs> I just, I was in a dining room doing some work. And uh, Mrs. C and Little C, they're in the living room watching the Pirates game. And so I'm, I'm listening to it as I'm working in the dining room. And I hear the call of that Diaz home run. And I just, I kind of looked up and went, are you, are you kidding me? I mean, this, he was supposed to be the next great Pirates catcher, Diaz. I remember him coming up as a prospect. He was supposed to be fantastic. He was supposed to be the, the next Pirates catcher you know, for the next 10 years. And then he just flamed out. He was awful. I didn't even know. I swear. I had no idea where he was in the league until yesterday. When they announced the starting lineups before the game, I was like, what? That's, so that's where he is. And he ends up going yard. Not that they needed the home run because that made it 2 nothing. All you needed was one run. Again, I don't know. That's the fifth time. I, I thought I read somewhere the fifth time the Pirates have been shut out in Colorado. At, is it still Coors Field? I don't know what it is now. It used to be Coors Field. I don't get it. I just don't get it. How you manage just six singles and get blanked. 
Anyway, they'll play again uh, tonight. And then in the Orioles, good win for them. Any win for the O's on the road is a good win. They break the 4-4 tie, a five spot in the ninth. They beat the and the Astros have been red hot uh, recently as well. So that's a good win uh, for the O's. All right, uh, let's go NBA right now as we move on from Major League Baseball. Again, you want to get involved, Rush Line is open, 301-759-2628. Last night, Game 5 of the Western Conference Finals in Phoenix. As the Suns uh, looking to close out the Clippers, a chance to move on to the NBA Finals for the first time since 1993. And you thought the Suns had everything in their favor playing at home. L.A. without Kawhi Leonard again for the seventh straight game. But early on, they did have uh, Reggie Jackson. Chris Paul on the left wing, behind the screen by Aiden. Chris Paul had it knocked away by Patrick Beverly. They got a three on two the other way. Jackson filling the lane, punches it home and says it with his chest all buffed out. The tomb to inbound from the left wing. Gets it to Jackson, got to go quickly with it. Drives into the paint, all the way to the paint off glass. Counted! He got the bucket to go, lefty high off the glass. And Reggie Jackson leaving his left hand up in the air for extra emphasis. The call on ESPN Radio. The calls, uh, plural, on ESPN Radio. Uh, Clippers would lead by as many as 15 in the first half, thanks to uh, Reggie Jackson. And Marcus Morris, who had 20 of his 22 points in the first two quarters. L.A. would lead by seven at the break, but back came Phoenix in the third quarter. Chris Paul out front on the left side of the floor, around the eight and screen, pulls up free throw line, and the Suns have their first lead of the ball game, 62-61. However, uh, that didn't last long because the Clippers answered with a 10-0 run. And they did it from downtown. Clippers basketball, George for three. I got your glass jaw, Mark Jones. Knocks it down, makes it 89-78. Paul George trying to silence the haters, coming up with 31 through three quarters. Beverly, now Paul George straight away from three-point territory. Cross-court, Jackson, left-wing three on the way. It's good, splash. The Clippers, they are now into double-digit threes. They've made 10 tonight. Eclipse would make 10 of their 30 three-point tries on the night. Phoenix cut it down to four uh, in the fourth quarter. But again, the Clips answered with a 10-2 run to put the game away. Paul George scored 20 of his playoff best 41 points in the third quarter. And L.A. survives to see another day, getting the 116-102 win to force a game six back in L.A. tomorrow night. For PG-13, his 41 points on 15 of 20 shooting, including 3 of 6 beyond the arc. Also had 13 points, I'm sorry, 13 rebounds and 6 assists. Uh, here he is after the game. That's that's just who we are. We fight, uh, we scrappy, uh, we leave everything on the line and um, you know we, we do it together. That's the, the most important thing, we do it together. I know you have got to be tired. You guys have played 18 games in 38 nights, and yet in the second half, forget your legs being gone. My Lord, I just need to read you some of these stats. 41 points total, 30 in the second half alone. Paul, you shot 83% from the field in the second half. How were you able to dig out and do that? Uh, I mean, 
I haven't shot the ball well this whole series. Um, at some point, I, I had to have the breakthrough. I had to. I was getting great looks. I love the shots I was getting. Um, I think just scheduling and you know every other night was playing a role on it. Just was missing, coming up short, tired on shots. Um, but you know, I got a good night's nice rest. Um, and uh, you know, my teammates been carrying me. Honestly, uh, they've been carrying me. Um, tonight, I had to come through. Your teammates and also Coach Ty Lu has been phenomenal this entire postseason. He as a coach is now 10 and 2 when his team is facing elimination. What makes him work so well with this group? I mean, he allows us to come out here and just play freely. Um, there's no pressure. He doesn't put the, the extra pressure. We know what we're facing and, uh, and what we're up against. Um, and that's all that needs to be said. That's how T. Lou is. Um, as cool as they come. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I've been saying, you know, we, we take after his identity. We come out, we stay poised, and uh, we just get the job done. Well, the schedule is relentless, Paul. you got another game coming up just two nights from now. How do you get yourself to a place where you can come out and fight as hard as you guys did tonight? Uh, the next 48 will be rest. Rest, uh, massage, uh, contrast, and cold, cold and hot tub contrast. I mean, it's just taking care of the body uh, over the next 48. And, um, you know, let whatever else happen on the court happen. Um, just as long as we put everything we have towards winning, uh, we'll live with the results. George is only the fourth Clipper ever to score at least 40 points in a playoff game. Uh, joining Kawhi Leonard, Elton Brand, and Bob McAdoo. Devin Booker had 31 for the Suns. Uh, Chris Paul, 22 points and eight assists. He's still looking for his first trip uh, to the NBA Finals. Uh, Chris, how do you get there? Definitely got to be better. They, they came out and they were the aggressors. Uh, they sort of looked like us in game four, and um, they, they hit us. Uh, they were a lot, they were too comfortable, and we got to be better. We got to close quarters better. You know what I mean? Like, that's been a problem for us all series long is closing quarters. Those last two and a half, three minutes of the quarters, um, you know, we took the lead, maybe cut it to one or two, and then they get a bucket, and then they go on the run. So look at it, see what we uh, need to do better, and get ready for the next one. The Clippers, oh, by the way, have never been this far in the playoffs in the history of the franchise. Game six of the Western Conference Finals uh, tomorrow night. All right, time for a break. News and weather coming up. When we come back, more on this game and a look at tonight's game four of the East Finals. All eyes on Trey Young's ankle. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230. WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. Uh, talking NBA playoffs, last night the Clippers survive uh, to see at least one more game. Uh, they beat the Suns 116-102 in Phoenix to force a game six back in L.A. tomorrow. Uh, Paul George, 41 points, a career playoff best for the Clips, 15 of 20 shooting. That's that's an amazing number. The Clips, I'm not saying that the Suns have to win tomorrow. They still lead the series three games to two. The odds of the Clips, you know, winning three straight, slim to none, doesn't happen very often. But now the Suns, they had a chance to do it last night. Again, they're on their home court. Kawhi Leonard still out for the Clips. 
Like you have everything, you have a 3-1 series lead, everything in your favor, and you just couldn't get it done. And now you find yourself in a situation where you have to go back on the road, back to L.A. for game six. The Clippers still have some life, still have some breath in their lungs, right? And if you lose tomorrow, then it's anybody's. If the Clips win tomorrow at home, if they can do what the Suns failed to do last night and hold serve at home court, anything happens in the Game 7. Anything. It's a one-game series. The Clips already proved last night they can win in Phoenix. Again, it's not a must-win for the Suns tomorrow. Because, obviously, if you lose, you still have one more game left. The Clips lose, the season's over. But, man, you want to take care of business. You do not you do not want to let the Clippers tie this series up and send it back to a Game 7. Anyway, back to last night's game uh, with more on what went down in Phoenix. Uh, Mark Jackson and uh, Jeff Van Gundy hopped on with uh, Scott Van Pelt. Well, they showed great character, and they showed great patience and great poise. Everything didn't go their way. And truthfully, Paul George wasn't playing particularly well in that first half. But they showed that they were a total team. You're talking about the effort of DeMarcus Cousins off the bench, Marcus Marcus Morris, the presence that he was offensively, and Reggie Jackson continued to be spectacular until uh, un- until Paul George had the ability to take over in that second half. Jeff, you you, le- you lean into stars clearly, but to Mark's point, you, you get that out of Boogie Cousins, and Marcus Morris Sr. was spectacular in the first half. Uh, from Ty Lue's perspective. How would you sort of describe the buttons that this guy's pushing and what he's getting out of the group that he's got? Well, found money. You know, he, he played eight right. guys tonight, and he played some like guys like Cousins who hasn't gotten a chance to play much, and he responded. I thought Nicholas Batum, even though he didn't put up big numbers, uh, was a great connector on the floor during tough times. He plays with great poise. I just And I think Reggie Jackson, I, I he is a special offensive talent he can finish at the basket and he can shoot the long range three i I just think this guy for whatever reasons earlier in the year he did he he was out of the rotation some health wise but he has put it all together here in the playoffs i'm curious jeff in your experience and mark you as well as a head coach what do you find grows more easily confidence or, or doubt, because if, I'm not saying the Suns should feel doubt because this is just one loss, and I'm not saying that the Clippers should feel like, well, hey, we can do it now, but I'm just interested in what you've noticed grows more easily, the belief you can continue or the doubt that I don't know what's going to happen next. I think that depends on the individual. Some guys, you can't talk them down off their confidence mountain, but some other guys doubt in a bad quarter, and even really good players in this mm. league go through periods of doubt it's a hard league and it's a hard league to play well in and sometimes i think we forget the other guys are trying too and so you know this is a a a really hard league i think doubt creeps in for a lot but the truly special ones have an unwavering confidence absolutely confidence on this level and really on any level but on this level in particular it's a difference maker. i can remember taking shots and he was rebounding and i'd be like that's money and he looked like that's an awful shot, and it's has no chance of going in. But I had the confidence to continue to shoot and think that I was a shooter. But he he would bring me down a notch. Mark had irrational <laughs> confidence, and and that served him well. I think you can't play 
well over a long career if you doubt yourself on every bad game. You're, it's going to be hard to play at a consistently high level. Only the truly great, great ones do that. So you're going to have ups and downs, and you've got to be able to bounce back and re-believe in yourself, and that goes team-wide as well. And that's, you know, that's what you need in any kind of playoff series, any kind of postseason. And your, your superstars aren't always going to be superstars. They're going to have off nights, and you need other guys to step up. And you heard the guys mention, you know, Paul George wasn't great in the first half last night. But Reggie Jackson stepped up. Marcus Morris had 20 of his 22 in the first half until PG-13 could take over in the second half. He had 30 of his 41 in the second half, 20 in the third quarter. And now it's a confident group. You talk about doubt. You want to talk about casting doubt. The Phoenix, go ahead and lose tomorrow. Phoenix, go ahead. Go ahead and lose tomorrow in L.A. And see what happens. Because you have a really confident group of Clippers going back to Phoenix for Game 7. And you'll have a whole lot of doubt in that Suns locker room going into that Game 7. I'm telling you, it's not, again, not by definition a must-win. But it's close. For a team that actually leads in the series. Uh, the Bucks leading their series tonight, Game 4 of the Eastern Conference Finals in Atlanta. Hawks trying to tie things up at two games apiece. And all eyes will be on the ankle of Trey Young. Young, of course, never lacks any confidence whatsoever. I just don't know how much confidence can heal a bum ankle. Uh, Young turned the ankle, his right ankle, when he stepped on a referee's foot <laughs> late in the uh, third quarter of Game 3. And now the question is, you know, how does Atlanta feel about Young's chances of play tonight? He's, he's listed as questionable. Uh, here's ESPN's Malika Andrews. They're optimistic that he is going to be available to play in this pivotal game four. You mentioned the MRI revealed a bone bruise. Well, the thing about that, I've been told, is that means that this is a matter, because there was no structural damage, it's a matter of pain tolerance and treatment. So Trey Young, I've been told, has been getting a lot of different medical advice today, been seeking out that treatment. He said after game three, he wants to be available. He's going to do everything in his power to be available to play in this pivotal game for. As folks around Trey Young like to say, it would take half of a head for him not to be out there on the floor, and even then, they would have to hold him back from not being out there, not going out there, not playing. The Bucks, I'm told, are preparing as if Trey Young is going to be available to play. He's such a focal point of what they do, and Giannis Antetokounmpo said that I'm wishing him a speedy recovery. They want the Hawks' best shot, but right now, this is something that changes hour by hour, minute by minute with this type of injury, but indications are good that he's going to be available to play. If it's a matter of pain tolerance, he's going to play. He's going to play. Uh, they'll find a way. And he might not be 100%, but a Trey Young at 70% is better than zero. Because if he can't go, the Hawks are done. They're finished. I mean, they might be done anyway, because I think the Bucs are a better team, especially if Chris Middleton continues to go off like he has. But they have Hawks have no chance if they don't have Young's almost 40 points a game. I'm sorry, 30 points a game. Uh, this postseason. And if the Bucs win tonight, series is over. I don't, there's no way. Atlanta's not good enough to climb out of a 3 1 hole against Milwaukee. So, again, much like you know, the, other, the other series, it's not a must win by definition, 
for the Hawks, but boy, falling into a 3-1 hole, uh, forget about it. And of course, we'll talk about that game tomorrow. And uh, other, one more NBA nugget, the Celtics introduced uh, the 18th head coach in franchise history yesterday. Here's Michelle Steele. The Celtics introduced their 18th head coach in franchise history Monday, Ime Udoka, and the symbolism was not lost on the team. Hopefully our, our 18th coach for our 18th banner. That would be good symmetry there. Having fallen short of that goal in the Brad Stevens era, Boston turns its eyes to Udoka, who wasn't afraid to call out his predecessor and the current president of Celtics basketball operations with one of his own goals for the Seas. Play team ball. Looked at the numbers overall. Sorry to mention this, Brad, but 27th in assists last year. We want to have more team basketball there. And, you know, I like to try to bring the dog out, and guys. And we got some young dogs here and, and look forward to pushing them. Assistant under Greg Popovich for seven years says he will be pushing the Celtics' young all-stars, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, the same way he pushed Kawhi Leonard to become a championship-caliber player in San Antonio. I'd say the same thing to Jason and Jalen. You know, the sky's the limit. The fact that you're not all NBA, that should be a chip on your shoulder. You should play with that edge. And my message to them be, why wait? The talent is there. The work ethic is there. Don't wait for anything. Go out, go out and take it now. Right now, Udoka is focused on building out his coaching staff. He's looking for energy, especially as the Celtics look to reset their culture. But he said he's most excited about the players and this roster as the Celtics go for 18. So Udoka gets hired by the Celtics. Chauncey Billups is now in Portland. Jason Kidd is with the Mavericks. And the Wizards are sitting there like, uh, what are we doing? <laughs> any day, Washington, any day, get yourself a new head coach. What do you say? All right, back to wrap up our number one. Stick around, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. We're talking uh, NBA uh, coaching hires as the Celtics introduced Ime Odoka as their 18th head coach yesterday. So four of the seven vacancies is the real word in English. Uh, They have been filled or filled. I'm having trouble with the English language today. And right now, it seems like the trend is to hire somebody who was most recently an assistant in the association. Because Udoka was an assistant with the Celtics. Now he's the head coach. Uh, Jason Kidd, who was a head coach before, but he's more recently a Lakers assistant. Now he's the coach with the Mavericks, head coach of the Mavericks. Chauncey Billups, an assistant with the Clippers. Now he's the head coach in Portland. The only head coach to get another head coaching job was Rick Carlisle, who stepped down from the Mavericks. He's now coaching the Pacers. So three of the four new head coaching hires in the association, most recently assistants. The Pelicans, the Magic, and the Wizards, they're still looking uh, for their new head coaches. And so far... Some of the names on the Wizards' radar, if you will. They're expected to interview uh, Sam Cassell, who is an assistant right now with the uh, 76ers. Wes Unsell Jr., who is an assistant with the Nuggets. And, of course, uh, Wes's father 
played for the old Bullets. That would be a nostalgic pick, to say the least. Another name being thrown around is former Portland head coach Terry Stotts. So they could go that direction. And another Boston assistant coach, Scott Morrison. Right now, it looks like, according to a couple reports, that Unsell Jr. and Cassell, they could be on the inside track to be the next head coach of the Wizards. Another name being thrown out there is Spurs assistant coach Becky Hammond, who, of course, would be the first female head coach in NBA history. Actually, she'd be the first female head coach in any of the major uh, pro sports. And she, her name was actually thrown around for the uh, Portland vacancy before they gave the Chauncey Billups. And she's been with the Spurs forever, it seems like. I can't remember how many... Uh, how many years she's been there. But I got a feeling that one of these three vacancies, New Orleans, Orlando, Washington, she's going to get one of those three jobs. She is going I mean, look, she's learned. I'm not a big fan of Greg Popovich personally, but when it comes to being a, a coach, he's one of the best. And she has learned under one of the best. And by all accounts, you listen to anybody in the know, she's ready. She's ready to take over her team. And according to one report, the Wizards, Bradley Bill and uh, Westbrook, Russell Westbrook, they, they're on board. Like if the Wizards hired Becky Hammond, they would be good with it. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. You remember the Wizards actually, uh, they had Christy Tolliver uh, was an assistant for a couple of seasons from 2018 to 2020. And they also named a female general manager of their G League team, Amber Nichols, last January. So the Wizards, not afraid to take that step and, and put women in those positions. Again, had an assistant coach, and now the GM of their G League team is a female. Will they take the next step and make Becky Hammond the first female head coach in the association? I think that would be, if nothing else, interesting. Would it not? Uh, you're going to have the, the detractors. You're going to have you're going to have people who say that, that a woman has no business. Being a head coach in the NBA team, I'm not on board with that. If she, if you can coach, you can coach, right? I, I'm just, and we talked about this last week when you had the uh, the guy for the Raiders who came out as gay. I can't remember his name right now. You have to excuse me. If you can play, you can play. If you can coach, you can coach. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Male, female, white, black, straight, gay. If you can coach, you can coach. So, three vacancies left. It's only a matter of time before Hammond gets a job in the NBA, a head coaching job. Will it happen this year? Will it happen with the Wizards? We'll have to wait and see. All right, hour number one down. One more hour to go. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, WCMD.
This is the Morning Rush. Uh, Rush line is open, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance, 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app, where we upload every show every day, minus commercials. So if you miss any part of any show, go back and check it out. For instance, if you missed uh, the first hour, we talk NBA playoffs, the Clippers staving off elimination, beating the Suns 116-102 to force a Game 6 back in L.A. uh, tomorrow night. We talked about Game 4 of the East Finals tonight. All eyes on uh, Trey Young's ankle as the Hawks try to even up that series. Talk some NBA coaching. The Celtics introducing their new head coach. Uh, There are three coaching vacancies left, the uh, Pelicans, Magic, and the Wizards. And could one of those three teams give Becky Hammond her first crack at an NBA head coaching job? I think one of them will, to be honest with you. And I got to clean one thing up or clear one thing up. I couldn't remember the guy's name. So I wanted to make sure I got it out there. I couldn't remember. I didn't want to shortchange the guy. I just had a senior moment, uh, the, the Raider that came out last week as gay. Carl Nassib was his name. I couldn't remember off the top of my head. That's what happens when you ever get old. You just can't remember things. So Carl Nassib was uh, the player from last week. Was it last week? I think it was last week. So also talk some baseball as well. And the red-hot Kyle Schwarber, which is where uh, we'll start this hour as we rock around the region. I want to rock right now. All right. Major League Baseball, of course. Schwarber continues to make Nationals and uh, Major League Baseball history. And a swing and a drive. Deep right center field. Way back. Going, going. It is gone. Goodbye. Bang. Zoom goes Kyle Schwarber on a 3-1 pitch with home run number 24. Another multi-home run game for Kyle Schwarber. His fifth The call on the Nationals radio network. Two more home runs for Schwarber as the Nats beat the Mets 8-4 to gain more ground in the NL East. As Schwarber homered twice off Mets starter Jared Eikhoff, including his sixth leadoff homer of the season. Ryan Zimmerman hit a pinch hit three-run homer for Washington, which hit five home runs in the game. Nats have won 12-15 of to get back to the 500 mark once again and pulled to within three games of the Mets in the NL East. Now, Schwarber, his fifth multi-homer game this season, three of the five have come against the Mets, including last night. Fifteen home runs for Schwarbs in the month of June, all of them coming since June 12th, which is amazing. So June 1st, Through the 11th, zero home runs for Schwarber. Then, through June 12th through the 28th, 15 home runs. The 15 homers in June uh, sets the Nationals franchise record for home runs in any month of the season. Schwarber now has 11 home runs in his last nine games. That's tied for the most homers 
in any nine-game stretch since 1901. Frank Howard, oh, by the way, uh, did it in 1968 for the Washington Senators. Schwarber has now hit 15 homers in a 17-day span. First player in Major League history to ever pull that off. He is on an historical tear. He now has 24 homers on the season. That's third most in all of baseball. Shohei Otani, who homered again last night, and Vlad Jr. each have 26, and Fernando Tatis Jr. has 25. Then Schwarbs has 24. And again, no surprise that since Schwarber has gotten hot, uh, so have the Nationals. Here is manager Davey Martinez. Yeah, honestly, I've never seen nothing like it before. So, but you know, hope he keeps on doing it. I mean, he's been he's been awesome. He really has, man. He's uh, he's been getting good at bats. You know, the, the the beautiful thing about it is, you know, even though he hit the home run, his last at bat, I mean, he hit a, a rocket to left field, which which is awesome too. You know, so he's staying on the ball well right now. I tell him all the time, you know, when he goes out there, I just want him to have good at bats. You know, I remind him, I remind him every time, hey, you take your walks, you know, get the ball in the strike zone. And when he does that, you're seeing what he can do. Really, I mean, he's 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 been he's been you know he's been awesome, you know, um, and he's been he's been an unbelievable leadoff hitter for us. So it's it's been good. So again, the Nats uh, three games back of the Mets. That game last night was a makeup. So it was just a little one. It's not even a series. It's one game. Uh, Nats open up a home series tonight uh, with Tampa Bay. Elsewhere, the Orioles pulled off a rare road win in Houston. There he goes. Fly ball, left field, it's deep, way back, and out of here. Orioles break the tie, a two-run shot off the bat of Austin Hayes, and the Birds jump on top, 6-4. to four. The call on Mid-Atlantic Sportsnet, five runs for the Orioles in the ninth inning as they beat the Red Hot Astros 9-7, Pedro Severino. Also had a two-run double in the ninth, and Ramon Urias had an RBI double. Ryan Mountcastle homered and drove in three for Baltimore, which won at Minute Maid Park in Houston for just the second time in 13 games uh, dating back to uh, 2016. And in Colorado, the Pirates were burned by a former bucko. And a fly ball hit deep to center. Elias Diaz, his home run. On the center field fence, just his third, gives Colorado a 2-0 lead. The call on the Pirates Radio Network, 2-0 the final as the Rockies get the shutout win. Kyle Freeland pitched five scoreless innings for the Rockies before leaving with uh, an apparent leg injury. The Pirates had just six hits, all singles, in Colorado, a place where teams score 80 runs a game. They had six singles. That's it. Tyler Anderson, pitching against his former Colorado team, allowed both runs on five hits in five innings. In other Pirates news, a rookie, Max Kranick, who threw five perfect innings in his Major League debut on Sunday, was rewarded by the team uh, by getting sent back down to AAA Indianapolis yesterday. <laughs> oh, you got to love it. You gotta love it. And we talked about this kid yesterday. He hadn't pitched above high A ball before this season. The Pirates fast track him through double A AA and triple A. 
bring him up Sunday, makes his major league debut, pitches five perfect innings, and they send him back down. So there you go. It's the Pirates' way, man. Now, look, they did announce that they're going to a six-man rotation. So it's very likely that Cranick gets called back up sooner rather than later. It's just funny. And we've seen it before from the Pirates. That's what they do. It's all about service time with them. Service time and money and contracts. So they bring them up, five perfect, and send them back down. In college basketball, West Virginia has added another player for the upcoming season in Jamel King, who originally signed to play at New Mexico, but then signed a grant in aid to play for the Mountaineers in 2021-22. At 6'7", a buck 90, King averaged 23 points and 6 rebounds a game as a senior at Paul Bryant High School in Alabama. Go figure that one out, right? Paul Bryant High School is in Tuscaloosa. Later, he averaged 16 points a game at Bella Vista Prep in Arizona. He also made more than half of his three-point attempts at Bella Vista. And Daryl Morcell, last year's Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year, is transferring from Maryland to play for Shaka Smart at Marquette. The 6'5 guard averaged nine points, four boards, three assists a game for the Terps last season. And again, uh, the Big Ten coaches voted him the best defensive player in the conference. He is one of only 16 players in Maryland history to have 1,000 points, 500 rebounds, and 100 starts. And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Caporale Group. Now, again, Marcel should have graduated. He should have been done. But because uh, the NCAA granted all the uh, student-athletes an extra year of eligibility, because of the pandemic, Marcel could have chosen to stay at Maryland for a fifth year or transfer. He transferred. So now he's going from the Big Ten uh, to the Big East to play for Marquette. All right. Uh, what are we doing here? All right. Uh, Stanley Cup playoff. That's right. Game number one last night. The Lightning hosting the Cinderella Canadiens. And uh, I got to tell you, uh, plug your ears, uh, turn down your radios just a bit because it's Dave Mishkin time. Cross the Montreal line, high slot. Shoots, block, rebound. Coleman, score! Blake Coleman! And it's 2-0 Lightning with 14-13 left in the second. Sergeyev across the Montreal line, sweeps to Kucherov right circle. A little centering feed, loose in front. Score! Finally, He batted that out of the air. It's 3-1 Lightning. <laughs> he just... Oh, Mish. My goodness. Anyway, uh, the call's right there on WFLA. Lightning score three times in the third period. They beat Montreal 5-1 to one to take a, a 1-0 series lead. And the game, I mean, really wasn't that close. The Lightning, were they were just skating circles around Montreal. There was a, a point late in the second period where Montreal scored to make it 2-1. to one. Uh, Sherratt scored, but it was that was a lucky goal. It bounced off of every player on the ice, it seemed like, plus two referees, and got past Vasilevsky. But then the second call you heard there, uh, Palat 
He scored early in the th- uh, third period to make it three to one. I think it was it was two minutes in, right? And then uh, it, it was over after that. And I hesitate to sit here and say the series is over after one game. I made that mistake in the last in the one semifinal when uh, Vegas, the Golden Knights, dominated Montreal, and I said, "Well, the series is over." Vegas is too good. And then Montreal comes back and wins the series in six games. So I won't sit here and say that the series is over because the Canadians, as resilient as any team I've seen in a long time, if any team can bounce back from last night's beatdown, it's Montreal. However, (laughs) Barry Melrose says uh, it's going to be a tough task for the Canadians to keep up with the Lightning. Tampa can do what other teams can't do to Montreal, and that's skate with them. Skate with them, skate better than they can. And you saw that tonight. They were flying. They had the puck all night long. Uh, as I said, the only thing we were missing was the uh, Sweet Georgia Brown song from Harlem Globetrotters. Globetrotters. They just had the puck the whole time. They went round and round and round and round and round, and, and Montreal couldn't get it. Yeah. They showed their skill level tonight. Montreal has to find a way to slow them down, has to find a way to no turnovers in neutral zone. Yeah. And, oh, by the way, Kucherov's back, and he yeah. looked great. Three points. So yeah. uh, the, the future does not look good for Montreal right now. <laughs> no, it does not. And Kucherov was was great. Two goals and an assist last night. Three points. Didn't really know if he could go because he was injured in uh, the series against uh, the Islanders. And I watched a portion of the game last night, and Montreal was taking their shots. They were slashing them on the wrist. They were cross-checking them in the head and neck region, they were doing whatever they could to get Kucherov uh, off his game, and it didn't work. Again, two goals and an assist. Uh, with more on his performance, here is ESPN's Greg Wyshynski. He didn't really play all that well in Game 7 against the Islanders. Then he comes back in Game 1. We ask him on media day, hey, you know, what are you dealing with? Are you going to be all right for this series? He's like, there is no injury. Well, guess what? There might not have been an injury <laughs> based on how he played this game. Two goals scored, sets up another by Stamkos later in the game. Uh, really was a force when they needed him. Because keep in mind, like, even though the Lightning really carried play in this game, and even though I don't think the result was ever really in doubt, there was a stretch in this game in the in the beginning of, of uh, I believe, the third period when the uh, the Canadians had cut the lead to 2-1, to one. It, you know, a bounce here, a bounce there. Maybe we're talking about a different result. But Kucherov then powered the Lightning ahead with three consecutive goals uh, to uh, to really take control of this game. So, you know, the Lightning have incredible depth. They have the ability to beat you in a number of different ways with the, with the players in their lineup, a different hero every night. But they also have this collection of star players that comes through when they need them. And it's going to be really contingent on Montreal to try to get the matchups they need to get their offensive guys off the blocks to look better in game two. Yeah, and we talked about it yesterday, how on paper this series is a mismatch. And it's it's the last thing you want to see when you get to a final series, right? I mean, it's always a good story when the Cinderella makes a long run. We see it in the NCAA tournament all the time, right? It's always a wonderful story. When the underdog does the impossible. When, you know, the team that nobody thought would make any noise makes some noise. And they make a run deep into the playoffs. It's always great while it's happening. But then <laughs> when it gets to crunch time, when it gets to the final series, 
they're usually so overmatched that it's not much of a series at all. After at least one game, that's the way, that's what it looks like this is going to happen. Everybody, you know, again, going back to the first, the first round series, when Montreal was down three games to one to the, uh, I almost said the Blue Jays, the Maple Leafs, same city, different team. And they come all the way back. They win three straight to win that series in seven. Then they sweep Winnipeg. Then they take out the Golden Knights, who, again, tied for the most points in the regular season. Everybody's on board with Montreal. The little engine that could. The Cinderella story. The underdog. And it's a great story until you get to the finals. And you come up against a juggernaut like Tampa Bay. And usually what you end up with is a crappy series because they're just overmatched. If last night's game is any indication, this series is over in four. You might give Montreal one win on their home ice, even though they're still they're still only allowing like 2,500 people in the arena, in, in the Bell Center, which is dumb. It's, it's stupid. So you might give them one game. But again, Tampa Bay is just so good. They have star power all over the place. They have skilled players all over the place. And if it wasn't for Carey Price in net for Montreal last night, the game would have been over a lot sooner than a third period. He made some outstanding saves. The Lightning would just, they showed off their skill set last night. And the Canadiens just, and Montreal's game is clog up the neutral zone, slow the game down, you know, muck it up, make teams grind, make teams earn everything they get. And even against that system, Tampa Bay just skated circles around them. It wasn't even close. And and you heard uh, Wyshynski say there, there was a stretch, and I mentioned the goal late in the second period that Sherratt scored that pinballed off a couple different players and then went in. That made it 2-1. to one. And you thought, okay, here's that Montreal team we saw in the first three rounds. Here's that Canadiens team, Le Habitant. Here's a team that we saw that grinds it out, that finds a way, and you thought when they made it 2-1, to one, that, man, here we go again. They've been outplayed, they've been outworked, and they're going to find a way to stay in this game. But then third period, psh, forget about it. And it, <laughs> Whenever Tampa Bay scored a third goal, and Palat just threw it on net, and Sherratt, who scored the goal for Montreal, you felt bad for him because he just tried to swat the puck out of midair with his left hand, and he basically just swatted it to somebody's stick and it went in. It was just it was bad luck all around. But, again, you hope if you're a fan of the game, if you're a fan of good series, you hope the Canadiens can kind of turn it around, bounce back in game two. But if game two, which is, again, tomorrow in Tampa, if it's anything like game one, this series is done because the Lightning is just going to blow them out of the water. It's going to blow them out of the water. Montreal has got to make Tampa Bay play their game. If they can't, forget it. But I said the same thing. I said the same thing after game one against Vegas. And look what happened. 
So I, I hesitate. I hesitate. Uh, Kucherov, by the way, uh, making history last night, becoming only the third player to score at least 30 points in back-to-back postseason. Remember, Lightning won the Cup last year. That's where we're talking about the mismatch on paper. The Lightning are going for back-to-back Cup championships. The Canadiens got into the playoffs with 59 points. The lowest-seeded team in the playoffs this year. But Kucherov, only the third player ever, with at least 30 points in back-to-back postseasons, joining some pretty good company. Only Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux, the only other players to do that in Stanley Cup postseason history. That's how good Kucherov is. All right, uh, time for a break. News and weather coming up. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. That rejoin is what happens uh, when you get into radio with a uh, speech problem. (laughs) I don't know if you'd call it a speech impediment. I just, whenever I was a kid, and I've told this story before, uh, I I talked really fast. It wasn't anything I tried to do. It was just, I was born with it. I talked extremely fast. And uh, especially I come up through like elementary school and whatnot. It's a number of times I'd have to repeat myself two, three, four times because people simply couldn't understand what I was saying. Everything just came out in just one garbled mess. And it took a long time for me to try to Get a grasp on that. You know what I mean? Just to slow things down. And even to this day, in certain situations, I have to sit there and kind of measure my words in my head before they come out. Because I know, I know, if and it's it's not all the time. It's it's almost like it's it's a certain combination of words. Or a certain combination of uh, phrases, I know if I just say it, it's just it's going to come out fast. I know it, so I have to make a, a a mental effort, a conscious effort, before I say before it comes out that all right, slow it down, right? Just measure every word, every to this day. I got you know it's gotten better over the years, but every now and then. Usually when I get excited, I get emotional, words just come out, and they come out way too fast. And then on the flip side of it, sometimes I will think about it too much, and then I'll start to stutter. If I, you know, if I try to slow it down too much, it's just, it's a struggle. But yet here I am. Anyway, I see uh, Demarius Thomas. Uh, announced his retirement yesterday. The uh, former Denver Broncos receiver. A pretty pretty decent career, right? Made the Pro Bowl uh, four times. Not very outgoing. I wouldn't say he was uh, a diva by today's wide receiver standards. Just went out and did his job. And he did it pretty well. I think he played, what, 10 seasons total? And the Broncos said they're going to honor him 
uh, during their home opener September 26th against the Jets. And he actually finished his career with the Jets uh, a couple years ago. Thomas was the first of two first-round picks for Denver in the 2010 draft. Guess who the other one was? It's Tim Tebow. <laughs> and, of course, uh, those two hooked up. If you're a Steelers fan, cover your ears. Those two hooked up with one of the, for one of the more memorable plays in Denver history. Undoubtedly, Thomas's most memorable play when he caught a short pass from Tebow, went 80 yards on the first play of overtime to beat the Steelers in the AFC wildcard game. After the 2011 season. Oh boy. You talk about sports gut punches. You talk about one of those plays that will live in infamy if you're a Steelers fan. That's one of them. The uh, Tim Tebow, Demarius Thomas wild card overtime game. Oh my goodness. You, could, you didn't even have time to get nervous about overtime or excited or anything. It was the very first play. It was a short slant across the middle. Boom, gone, 80 to the house, game over. Steelers season over. Thanks, Demarius and Tim. It still doesn't sit well with me. Anyway, uh, Thomas played nine of his ten years with Denver. He is uh, the Broncos' second-leading receiver all-time, 9,055 yards behind only Rod Smith. He is third in team history and catches with 655 behind Smith and uh, Hall of Famer Shannon Sharp. So there you go. Demarius Thomas uh, calling it quits. Uh, He will retire a Bronco, as you can imagine. Uh, Last night, game one of the College World Series in Omaha. After an hour rain delay, they come back. Vanderbilt looking for back-to-back World Series titles, taking on uh, Mississippi State. Strike three, that's the game. He gets caught with a bat on his shoulders. And for the 20th time at TD Ameritrade since 2011, the Commodores get a win. Jack Leiter, the victory. Vanderbilt takes game one, eight to two. One more win gets them another College World Series title. That was uh, Carl Ravitch, the call on ESPN. Uh, Vandy put up seven runs in the first inning after that long rain delay. And as Ravi just said, they beat Mississippi State eight to two. One more win tonight, and they capture uh, back-to-back World Series titles. Uh, Jack Leiter who leads the nation in strikeouts. And he's also the projected number four pick in uh, ESPN's latest mock draft. He allowed the two runs on three hits, and he struck out six in, uh, I'm sorry, he struck out eight in six innings. Here he is after the game. I mean, it was it was crazy. Um, I don't think I've ever pitched in a game like this. Um, I mean, there's fans. You gotta, you gotta tip your cap to the Mississippi State fans. They're, they're a really good fan base, and um, they're definitely loud. If this is the last time we see you pitch in a Vanderbilt uniform, what did it mean to play for this team? 
I don't know. I'm not. I'm not thinking about anything about that. Um, really, just one more win. We got more work to do, but. I mean, I would say I would say it means a lot to pitch in a Vanderbilt uniform. One more win to win a national championship. We saw the offense come alive today. Where's the confidence on this team? I think it's pretty high, but um, we're going to do our best to get back back to the middle because we know that they're. Um, I mean, we know that they're a very good team. We've seen it all year, and um, we're expecting a really good performance from them tomorrow. So we got to match it. Now, Vandy won the World Series title back in 2019. Of course, there was no College World Series last year. So technically, if they win tonight or tomorrow, it'll be back-to-back national champions. And they'll be the first back-to-back champs since 2011 when South Carolina won the second of uh, two straight titles. Then before that, it was a while before that. They they put up the stat last night. It was South Carolina. I think LSU won back-to-backs. Texas won back-to-back. It's only happened like five, six times, ever. So Vandy, a chance tonight to be back-to-back champs. Uh, I have have to assume that Kumar Rocker is going to pitch for Vandy. That's that's a heck of a one-two punch right there, Rocker and Leiter. Leiter goes yesterday, Rocker probably tonight or tomorrow, if necessary. Rocker may go number one overall to the Pirates. Who knows? So Vandy... Could have two pitchers go in the top five. Very likely will have two pitchers go in the top five of the uh, MLB amateur draft. How about that? And a reminder, programming note, that uh, you can catch game two and game three, if necessary, of the College World Series right here on this very station. Uh, pre-game tonight from a Westwood One beginning at 645. Also a programming note, this Friday... My main man, uh, Joe Shuda, his Rush Friday feature, Aaron Laffey, will be on the show this Friday. So you don't want to miss that. All right, uh, one more break and back to wrap it up. Stick around, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. Uh, before we get out of here, stick on the uh, player who delivered, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. We talked about this cat earlier in the hour. Tampa Bay Lightning's Nikita Kucherov, who had two goals and an assist in Tampa's 5-1 win over Montreal in Game 1 of the Stanley Cup Final last night. Uh, Kucherov became just the third player in NHL history with back-to-back postseasons of at least 30 points, joining some pretty uh, good company. Wayne Gretzky and Le Magnifique, Mario Lemieux, the only other players with back-to-back 30-point postseasons. So Nikita Kucherov, our player who delivered, brought to you uh, by All Seasons Landscaping and uh, Supply Yard. There you go. I see here Ben Simmons has informed the Australian Olympic basketball team that he will not participate in the Tokyo games. Uh, he said that he wants us to stay back here and work on his game after his very poor performance in the Eastern Conference semifinals. So Simmons not going uh, to the Olympics. Why he plays for Australia, I have no idea. I can't answer that. I don't know how that works. <laughs> but... Uh, Australia is supposed to be a metal contender. 
And uh, they're scheduled to begin training this week in L.A. And they'll play Team USA in two exhibition games next month in Vegas. All right. There you go. Simmons isn't. He isn't Australian, is he? I don't know. Uh, Speaking of the Olympics, and I hesitate to even talk about this because I really don't want to give this woman any more time than she deserves. But this happened on Saturday during the Olympic trials. A U.S. hammer thrower named Gwen Berry turned away from the American flag as a national anthem played while she and two other athletes stood on the podium uh, during the uh, the trials. Uh, Barry said she was upset that the national anthem played as she received her bronze medal. Uh, by finishing third, she qualified for her second U.S. Olympic team. And as the anthem played, as her two other teammates, Deanna Price and Brooke Anderson, they faced the flag, hands on their hearts, Barry turned away and faced the stands, the bleachers, I guess, or whatever. And she said she was PO'd. She felt like it was a setup, she says. That, <laughs> that, uh, well, who set her up? I guess the organ- uh, the organizing committee, whatever. How was she set up? Oh, I see. She says she was told that the anthem would play before they got out. Now, look, the trials are different than the Olympic Games. In the Olympic Games, like they always play a country's anthem, like the gold medal winner, right? They play that country's anthem. The trials, they don't do that. They don't play a country's anthem. But at the trials, there's a set time that they play the Star-Spangled Banner. It's around 5.20 every day. So it just happened to be that at the time that these hammer throwers were getting their medals was the time scheduled to play the anthem. It was a coincidence. Well, Barry didn't see it that way. She thought it was a setup. She thought they waited for them to get on the podium to play the national anthem. Oh, my goodness. How will she ever survive? It's a terrible look. I see the picture. And as the other two athletes, again, are standing there facing the flag, hands on hearts, Barry standing there facing away, hand on hip, just, you know what it does? It makes me, and as an American, I hate to say that, it makes me root against. I hope she loses. Now, look, she qualified as third, right? She finished third in the trials. So chances are, when she faces the rest of the world's competition, she'll get smoked. But when I see this, I hope she loses. I hope she fails miserably. And I even see one comment here on Twitter that kind of you know says the same. It says, it's going to make patriotic Americans cheer for foreign competitors and against the anti-American Americans. And it just begs the question, if it bothers you that much, if the anthem and the Star-Spangled Banner bothers you that much, why are you competing for the country? Why are you... What are you doing? 
I got no problem with people wanting to be activists. I have no problem with people taking a stand on whatever matter that is near and dear to them. I got no problem with that. But if it bothers you that much, find another way to do it. I mean, here, if anybody, <laughs> if anybody even bothers to remember Gwen Berry, this is how they're going to remember her, right? She's going to. This is her fifteen minutes of fame. This American athlete, this U.S. athlete, who chose to turn away from the American flag on the podium at the U.S. Olympic trials. That's how she'll be remembered. Again, if anybody even bothers to remember her after this. I just I get so I just get tired of it. I get so tired of it. it nobody set you up. Nobody set you up for anything. There is and even a spokeswoman said that look, there's a scheduled time that we play the anthem every day. It makes me want to root against her. It really does. Come whenever the Tokyo, I don't even know when the Tokyo game, really, next, it's next month, right? The Olympic Games. I understand, I understand that people have issues with this country. I get it. We've been talking about this for years now. But when I see stuff like that, it, it bothers me. If you have all these issues with this country, don't compete for it. All right? Don't call yourself a U.S. athlete and stand on the podium and turn away like you can't be bothered for three minutes to face the American flag and put your hand on your heart. Used to be a time when that wasn't a question. Now it's a question all the time. So congratulations, Gwen Berry. There's your 15 minutes of fame. That's how you, at least for me, that's how you'll be remembered. By disrespecting the flag and the anthem for whatever, for whatever reason. Anyway. All right, a reminder, tonight, uh, game two of the College World Series. Uh, catch it right here. Vanderbilt trying to wrap things up. If they beat uh, Mississippi State tonight, they win their uh, second straight College World Series title. If uh, the Bulldogs win tonight, game three tomorrow. Tonight's game and tomorrow's game. Whoa! Wow! That was loud. Anyway, uh, both games uh, tonight and tomorrow at 645, brought to you by Westwood One. All right, that's it. I am done. A man is up next with Tri-State today. Enjoy the rest of your day. Uh, See you back here tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. sharp. This is Morning Rush. I am Tony C., and I am done. Bye.